Hi, and welcome to the Bluff Church Podcast. Each week we bring you the Sunday message from the Bluff Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. If you like our podcast, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment and leave a review on your favorite listening platforms on iTunes or Google Play. Your review helps other listeners find our podcast. For more information about the Bluff, we invite you to visit our website at thebluff.church or our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for the Bluff Church. If you live in the Poplar Bluff area, we invite you to come be a part of the Bluff on any Sunday at 1027 a.m. in the ballroom of the Holiday Inn. Now here's this week's message. His teaching is both positive and very hard. That's the teaching of Jesus. There are times when Jesus teaches and you go, wow, it's like a pep rally. It's like, this is great. You know, he'll come into your life and he'll say things like, come if you have a heavy burden and I'll give you rest. Like, oh, isn't that a positive message? I want to go to church to hear that, don't you? And then on the other end, he says things like, come, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's like, what? What? I don't want to hear that. Come pick up my electric chair and follow you? I I, I know what that means. You know, his messages are positive, but also very hard. And when you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you see that. It starts off with this positive message, blessed. Blessed are you, blessed are you. Let's throw out some Beatitudes. I've got a lot of blessings going around here, you know. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And now let's talk about sin. Oh, Jesus, you're doing so well. And And now you're going to talk about sin on us. What are you doing? And that seems to be how he often taught. It's, it was this really positive message that was difficult to live out. Um, we're going to look at it, and it is about sin today. And what he says about sin is very insightful, very good. He talks about sin in such a way that it's not enough for you to avoid sin. You see, a lot, a lot of times when we talk about sin, we just know we're supposed to stay away from it. And Jesus is like, well, that's not enough. You can't just avoid sin. You have, you have to avoid the path that leads to sin. It's not enough just to stay away from it. You've got to stay way away from it. You can't go down that road that leads there. He, he introduces this section in, uh, in this verse. He says, Verse 20 of chapter 5 of Matthew, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, this is a lot different than blessed are you, isn't it? Oh, man. Yeah, if you want in the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to live a better life than your religious leaders. You're going to have to surpass them. Like, whoa, what? This is heavy. Yeah, and, and Jesus next, he's going to give out six refrains. A refrain, um, kind of like in music, 
You know, you have a chorus, you, verse 1, chorus, verse 2, that same chorus, verse 3, we get back to the same chorus. People do this when they speak sometimes, like Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream, and I'll say it like 18 times. <laughs> I've got a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. It's poetic when you do that, isn't it? Comedians do that, Jeff Foxworthy. If, if you've ever been too drunk to fish, you might be a redneck. Yeah. If you've ever, if you've ever, if you prefer keys over Q-tips, you might be a redneck. Yeah. If you, if you've ever mowed your yard to find your car, you might be a redneck. You know. And and so it's memorable and pointed. You know those refrains where you say the same thing over and over. Jesus uses a refrain here, and it's probably more serious than Jeff Foxworthy as he's throwing out this refrain. I. I imagine, because a lot of public speakers will use it in this way, they'll crescendo it. It'll, each one will get a little more, little more tense. And, and so I'm picturing as Jesus is throwing out these six refrains that each one is building on itself until he's finally really laying it down at the end. And his refrain goes like this. You've heard this, but I say this. You've heard this, but I say this. You've heard this, but I say this. I bet I, I imagine that he's probably crescendoing and, and moving up as he's preaching this message with this refrain, throwing it out. And he's doing more than what I think a lot of, a lot of times a lot of preachers, they'll read it and we'll only read it. We won't hear how it probably preached when it sounded, what it sounded like. I, I think he's doing a lot more been talking about these six sins. I think he's teaching a principle on how to view sin. I'd like to truck through all six refrains so you can see them, and then we'll go back afterwards and we'll look at each one. So, so the first refrain is going to be verse 21. It says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone ever hear that murder's wrong? And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. In verse 27, he gives out his second refrain. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you've heard it was said of the people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill the law Lord, to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear at all, an oath at all, either by heaven or by God's throne. Verse 38, you've heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And then verse 43, but you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
And these six refrains, it's all about sin, and it's like he's taking this bar, and he's going, you've heard this, but you're going to have to live better than this. You're going to have to live better than that. This is what you've heard, but this is what I say. You've heard this, I say this. And it's like he's using a cliff as an analogy here. It's like it's like there's a cliff over here, and if you, if you fall off the cliff, that's when you sin. You actually murdered someone. But I'm going to tell you, don't go down the road where the cliff is. Don't even, don't even put it in your eyesight. Each one of these expectations, they're connected to each other in the fact that one leads to the next. So the first refrain is, do not murder. Don't murder. It's like the ultimate standard for knowing if I'm a good person or not. Well, I've never killed anyone, right? At least I haven't done that. I'm not Adolf Hitler, right? Yeah, so, so I've got to make it into heaven. I'm a pretty good person. I, I don't go around killing people all the time. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's, that's not very much of a standard. There might be someone in here who's been affected because of murder. Perhaps someone you love has murdered someone else, or perhaps you have, and it was a long time ago, or, or perhaps, perhaps this has impacted your life. It's a terrible sin. I don't mean to make light of it. It just, it just seems to be a pretty low standard, something that everyone agrees is wrong, even those that don't love the Lord. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's not that murder. It's You've heard don't murder, but I'm going to tell you don't even get angry in a way where you are harboring this frustration towards someone else because it will take you down that same path. I preached a sermon on murder several years, not murder, on anger several years ago. <laughs> yeah, I was having a real problem at my church. Everyone kept murdering each other. It's like, you guys got to stop killing each other. Okay, uh, no, I preached a message on anger. And at the end of the message, Someone in the church that I know very well, um, I, I, I love him. He's a good brother in Christ. I've known him for years. He came over to me. And, and the way he said it, I thought he was joking at first. He said, well, after hearing that message, we need to talk. <laughs> I was expecting something funny to come next. And I said, <laughs> and he said, I have a baseball bat in my truck right now. Okay. I'm, I, I don't understand. Well, there's this guy, and he starts telling me this story of this guy that's been really causing him and his wife and his wife's sister a lot of stress. And he had stayed up all night that Saturday night just thinking about him, just building up all this anger and rage. And finally, he thought, I'm going to go have a talk with him. I'm going to go talk with this guy. So he put a baseball bat in his truck and then came to church <laughs> and was planning to, after church, go talk to this bozo. Yeah, I'll, go, I'll go talk to him. And then he came in. Fortunately, the message was on anger. And he's sitting there going, oh, oh, okay. So he came over, you know, and he's sharing this. I'm like, wow. What if the message hadn't been on anger? What, what if he had gotten there and, and it got heated? What would separate my good friend that I love 
from a murderer? Is it just circumstances? The way someone rubbed you? When, when tensions get that high? Went to church camp a couple. I'm at church camp. I'm at church camp. One of the campers runs over to me and says, Hey, there's going to be a fight. A fight? It's camp. Come on. Oh, man. It's fighting over a girl. Does that surprise anyone? I bet everyone in here already knew what the fight was about, right? And fighting over some girl. One, one, one of the boys, he, uh, he, he's at that stage where he thought the best way to impress a girl was to, like, annoy her. <laughs> and then this other boy who liked her thought he was going to protect her. Yeah, so it was over a girl. And so I start walking. I see some guys getting together. And, and then I start seeing it get more heated, so I start kind of jogging. And then I hear this. He has a brick! What? <laughs> oh, man. I get there, I'm like, what are you doing? Give me that brick. What are you, are you crazy? A brick? What are you holding a brick for? You're all angry. You're going to protect this girl. You're holding a brick? It changes from us sitting around talking about, you know, being mature and, 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 and being calm and being level-headed to calling the police. It changes. And I think we sometimes will look at someone's sin and we'll go, oh, that person's so bad. This person's so terrible. I'm glad I'm not like them because I didn't fall off the cliff. I just danced by it. That's all I did. I just went down the same road and I danced all around it, but I didn't fall off it like they did. And that's, where, that's what Jesus is saying. He's going, you've heard it said, don't fall off the cliff. Don't murder. But I say, don't go down that road. Don't get so angry with someone else that you harbor all this emotion in you and you just want to rip their head apart. You want to go, oh, you make me so... Don't, let it go. And if you know that there's that kind of tension between you and a brother, do whatever you can to resolve it. Jesus continues with the second refrain, and he brings up another sin that I think all of us can agree on is a sin. Adultery. Adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Now, I don't make light of adultery. There might be some in here that you've, You've fallen off that cliff. We, we've all sinned, and in many ways, but, but I'll tell you, something, that's unique, something about adultery is, is everyone agrees. We all know, everyone in here, we know it's wrong. That if I'm married and I made a commitment and I'm with this person, I'm not supposed to be cheating on them. I'm supposed to be faithful. But Jesus, he goes, you've heard that adultery is wrong. That's the cliff. But the road is lust. You've heard adultery, but I'm going to say, don't go down that road. There's a man who was talking about, he was telling me a story about his little kid that was having trouble sleeping at night. And uh, every night, his son would get out of bed and come into their bedroom and climb into bed and wake them up. 
And so he'd pick him up and take him back in. Say, no, you have to sit in here. This happened several nights in a row. And finally, dad laid down the law. You will not come in this bedroom. No, no, you can't. This is our bedroom. There's the door right here. You stay out. He laid down the law and scared his son. Next morning, his father woke up and he said he came to the bedroom door <laughs> and there's his son sleeping in the straight line, right as close to the bedroom as he possibly can be, right in the doorway, right where the carpet line is. He's like lined up right there, huddled to get, like just sleeping right. That, that is human nature, isn't it? To get as close to the line as we possibly can. And I think that's why Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't, it's not just say that adultery's wrong. You gotta be careful which road you go down. No one, no one one day is happily married and things are good and leaves to a house for 20 minutes and comes back and goes, oh, I just committed adultery. It was, oh man, what did I do? It's, it's this path that takes us there. It's a journey. It begins by us thinking about someone that we're not married about to. We begin pondering, fantasizing. It begins with us having conversations and starting to flirt. It's a path, it's a journey that we go, and it's, it takes us to this cliff. It causes us to begin to say things that are inappropriate to say to someone that's not your spouse. To be in situations where you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. If someone is on the path towards a cliff and someone else has fallen off, what's really the difference here? And that's what Jesus is talking about. And he, he's not coming in and saying lust is the same thing as adultery. That's not what he's doing. He, he's He's saying that there's a road that we can go down that's just as dangerous as the end result because it takes us there. So stay away. Consider where your actions are taking you. I was once talking to a, a minister who had committed adultery with his secretary. And he said, I spent so much time fantasizing about this relationship that when it finally happened, it didn't even seem like it was real. It seemed like he was still living out his fantasy. He had spent so much time dancing around the cliff, he fell off. So we need to take warning and go, oh man, what? I need to make sure I stay away from this road. I made a commitment in my marriage that's not in scripture, just for me. I go, I, I don't want to ever be alone with a woman of the opposite sex because, because I don't want to go down that road. My wife has made the same agreement, and, and there have been times it's been very difficult to not have that in place. You have to do a lot of maneuvering to make sure we're not alone with someone. But that's just the commitment we have because we don't want to go down that road. Number three, number three is interesting. He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. What this is, is this is the principle 
that before you start another relationship, you need to end the one you have. This is that conversation of two women in the kitchen, and she's saying, now, isn't he still married? Yes, but they're separated, and they, don't have, they haven't talked for this long. They haven't been intimate. Yes, but it's still, they're still, it's not all finalized yet. You need to get that finalized first. You make sure, okay. And so this is that. It's, it's, it's this desire to not cheat. You get that divorce paperwork in, then you move on. It's a principle that, that while we have a lot of people in here, there's probably some that stumbled in this way. It, but it, it's a cliff that we can all go, yeah, yeah, you probably should finalize a divorce before you start another relationship. And Jesus goes, okay, yeah, you've heard that cheating's wrong, but, but what leads to it? And isn't what leads to it a lack of commitment? Isn't that what takes us down that journey? And so shouldn't you have more of a commitment and, and go, before, before we finalize any paperwork, before we even get there, I want to make sure that I'm zeroed in and focused on where I'm going. There's an interesting study. I think this is really interesting. They brought in a whole bunch of women, and they said, all of you are going to come up with goals. You come up with your own goals for the next 30 days. And they worked through and had them all come up with some goals. Most of them were all health-type goals. I'm not going to munch at night. I'm going to wake up early and do some exercising or, or something like that. And, and they said, okay, now we're going to give you all strategies, and we're going to break up into three groups, and we're going to teach you how to accomplish these goals. And they split them up into group A, group B, and group C. Group A, they said, okay, this is how you're going to accomplish your goals. We're going to teach you a phrase. No. No. Every time you're tempted, you're going to just look and say, no. You go in the kitchen at night, you want to munch, you want that ice cream, you're just going to open the door and go, no, and shut it. No. It's the no group. They came to group B, and they said, your word is can't. And you're going to say, I can't do this. And they talked about how hard it is and what reasons you can't do it. They wrote down reasons why I can't do this. I can't munch at night. I can't sleep in. I, I can't do this. And then the third group, they used the word don't. And they said, you're not the type of person that, that munches at night. You're going to go in that kitchen and go, I don't do this. That's not who I am. Do you know which group did the best? Does anyone have a guess? Group A, only 20% accomplished their goal. Yelling no at it. No! <laughs> group B, 10%. It weakened them to say, I can't do it. Made them feel like a victim that they're just going to fall into it anyway. The group that just said, I don't do it, it's not who I am, 80% of the women accomplished their 30-day goals. And I, I hear that study, and I go, I bet there's a lot of truth to that. When we can just shut the door to the journey altogether and say, you know what, it's not about whether or not I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I always end my marriage well, that's not even an option for me. I'm just going to shut that, I don't do that. I did not anymore. If you're married, just say, I don't get a divorce. I don't do it anymore. I, I'm faithful. 
I'm faithful to the very end. I'm committed. I'm all in. What can I do to make this better? He goes on and he talks about oaths. Again, you've heard of that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill the vows you've made. But I tell you, don't swear at all. You know, the cliff, I think we can all agree, breaking your vow is a sin. It's a, it is. It's a sin. I bet there's a lot of people in here who've broken their vows, who's made some, some strong commitment. I will accomplish this. I will be there. I swear I will. I'll get this done. We, we use a lot of fancy words claiming that we're going to do it, and then we don't. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, that's the cliff. And you know what leads there is rash vows. Don't even say it. Don't, don't, don't come in and go, yeah, I'm going to get all this. Just shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. It's going to take you down a journey where you're dancing around a cliff and you're going to sin. Avoid it at all costs. <clears throat> he moves on and he talks about the fifth one and says, you've heard it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist. We do not appreciate the, the beauty and the, the decency of God's law. God's law was so precious to the Jews because God's law was so different than the rest of the world. The entire world had a system, a law that was, that was based on bribery and power and, and, and it's always unfair Laws where, depending on your status, depending on where you're from, determined what your punishment would be for different crimes. It was always unfair and always favored certain groups. And then comes God's law, the basis of Western civilization. This is what we built ours on, something that's fair, or at least it's supposed to be fair. It doesn't matter who you are or how much you have or where you're from. You do this crime, this is the punishment. And it's supposed to be across the board, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And it's not supposed to be excessive. You ever watch two brothers and one does like some little nudge and the other turns around and wails on him? It's like, that wasn't proportionate at all, right? But that's what we want to do when we're wrong. Someone punches me in the face and knocks out my tooth. I want to go to their house and burn their house down, shoot their dog. But that's not proportionate. He knocked out my tooth. All I should do is knock out his tooth. It's fair, right? And it's this message about retaliation. And, if, and you, should, you shouldn't retaliate excessively, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It was a big value that the Jews had. A big value that we don't, we don't punch back harder than what was punched to us. It's fair now. And here comes Jesus in one of their most valued, treasured beliefs. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't even worry about self-preservation. That's what takes you down this road of excessive retaliation. This need to make sure that no one ever wrongs me. Look, you're going to be wronged. You are. You're going to be slapped in the face. You're going, to be, you're going to be cheated. Have you ever prayed one of those angry prayers after you were cheated or wronged? I have. Just let it all out. God can handle it. Go, oh, he cheated me, God. And I just try to get it all out and give it to God so I, so I don't carry it with me. 
when I'm wronged, I want to retaliate. I bet you do too. And Jesus is like, don't even go down the path where you want to like slug back. Instead, get rid of this desire to strike. And just accept the fact that you're going to be wronged a lot in this world. And finally, number six, he says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You think that says that in the Bible, hate your enemy? <laughs> this was a joke in the, in the Jewish world. The Old Testament said, love your neighbor. And the joke was this. Yeah, it says love your neighbor. Doesn't mention your enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Doesn't, doesn't say that anywhere. Yeah, love your neighbor. I mean, who is your neighbor? Who is he anyways? And it became something that transformed from a joke to them taking it serious. Yeah. Remember, the Bible only says to love your neighbor. It doesn't mention anything about your enemies. So that was the discussion. You may have heard Jesus have to discuss this somewhere else when they said, who is your neighbor? Yeah, because this is the debate. And here Jesus says, and he says, you've heard people talk about love your neighbors and hate your enemies, and they're trying to get away with, with hating their neighbor. When you hate your enemies, it leads you to a path where you end up hating your neighbor. And so, and so you need to love those that you're angry with, those that are against you. Pray for them. Pray for them and lift them up. This entire passage, as Jesus is preaching to this crowd, it's not about murder. It's not about anger. It's not about lust or adultery. It's a principle. And he says it several different times and in different ways. I don't believe it was exhaustive. I believe he could have kept going. He could have mentioned every sin that he had, and he could have talked about the path that leads to it, but he thought we were smart enough to probably figure this out. What he came in and said is, you're going to have to live better than these people that are telling you what not to do. Because if that's all you hear, you'll be falling off the cliff all the time. You're going to have to look at where you're living and look ahead at where this path is taking you and see if it's taking you near a cliff or not. And avoid that path at all costs. Today, I want to ask you just that. Look into your life and ask yourself, are you walking down a road that's going to take you to a cliff? Where will your journey take you? And if you're, if you're taking steps towards something that's, that's just going to be destructive in your life, Jesus believes in you. He doesn't give out commands that he doesn't think you can, can, you think he can achieve. He believes in you. You need to expect more from yourself. Stand up and say, no, I'm not heading that way. I'm going to live for the Lord. And Jesus ended this passage saying, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I believe in you. Stay away from dangerous roads. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I just want to come to you right now and, and thank you for your teaching in my life. 
there have been many times I've looked at the Sermon on the Mount and I've been confused because your words seem very harsh and very hard. Turn the cheek, don't lust, uh, never make vows. Lord, you're teaching a principle, though, of just how bad our sin is and how important it is for us to, to stay away. And so, Lord, I just ask you that this morning that we would look into our hearts, that we'd look and be careful where we step, and we would do our best to walk towards you. You are a good and a faithful God. And I ask you right now, Lord, I ask you to grow us, mature us, that we can live completely for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's all stand together. Might ask our elders to stand in the back if anyone has anyone that they would like to pray or talk to, one of our leaders. Uh, they would be available for you. And let's listen to the Holy Spirit and follow him. What can take a dying man and raise him up to life again? What can heal a wounded soul? What can